Unlock your inner voice with storytelling featuring story power coach J. Lauren Norris. Ready to live your best life? In this electrifying interview, story power coach J. Lauren Norris shares the secret to unlocking your inner voice through the power of storytelling. Discover how crafting a compelling narrative can reduce stress levels, boost move, and help you overcome obstacles. With expert guidance from J. Lauren Norris, a renowned story power coach, you'll learn how to harness the inside job of story power and take control of your life's narrative. Whether you're looking to increase confidence, find greater meaning in life, or simply enjoy more vibrant health, this interview is a must watch. So don't miss out on this opportunity to learn from one of the most dynamic and inspiring voices in the world of storytelling and wellness. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to the show. Everyone, today is a very special day. It's Memorial Day. And so I am so honored to have the guest that we have on here today because he has served. And as we remember those who have fallen, I want to take a moment to recognize that. And so in a moment of silence, let's recognize those who have served. So today, instead of reading the biography of our guest today, I'm going to allow him to share for himself how incredible he is. So please help me welcome Jay Lauren Norris. Thank you. Glad to be here. My pleasure, sir. Sir, thank you so much for being on the show. It is such a pleasure to have you here. And, you know, I can say just a little bit of how we met. I was so impressed by the way that you spoke, by the way that you led and coached. That's kind of how I got to meet you, but share a little bit with the audience who you are. Well, you know, I, I have spent so much time telling stories that I find stories are the best way 
not only to communicate what's going on inside your head when you're looking in the mirror and, and dealing with yourself, but they answer so many questions. And when they're good stories, they lead to even more questions. So how about if I just tell you a quick story about how I got into the whole concept <laughs> of storytelling to begin with? I think that would be the most fitting. Yes, please. So I walked around the corner and I found my mom there on her knees scrubbing the urinals in the same middle school that I went to. I said, hey, mom, let's let's go grab some dinner. And she looked up at me and then she said, well, I got to finish this one and, and the bathroom down on the West Wing and then we can go to dinner. And I said, mom, why are you doing this? And she looked at me and she said, well, well this is my job. I said, I, I understand that, but why are you doing this? And she said, son, you know, I dropped out of high school. This is the best job I'll ever have. And I, I said, no, mom, my sister was valedictorian from high school, top 5% of Baylor graduates. And when she graduated from college, I just got my first promotion in the Air Force. There's no way we come from this kind of stock that that's the best you could ever do. Well, the Air Force sent me off to Honduras shortly after that. We didn't have dinner that night, by the way. But while I was in Honduras, I got a call from my aunt. She never called me at work before that and never called me after that. And then to call me thousands of miles away while I was in Honduras, that was a shocker. But when I answered the phone, she said, you know, that conversation you had with your mom, that was pretty hard on her. And I'm thinking, hmm, this, this doesn't sound good to get that unexpected phone call from, from an aunt from so far away and long distance and international. Holy cow. I, I, is she okay? She said, well, yeah, she's okay. We, we had a long conversation, though. It really hurt her heart. We decided together to go back to night school and get our GEDs. And I was like, yes. And she said, but the, Mr. Barton wouldn't let mom have her GED. And I'm like, what do you mean? Wouldn't let her have it. She said, well, he told her that her grades were so high and she was such an academic superstar that if she would push a little harder, she could actually get her high school diploma. And I was like, okay. I mean, I, I don't know what good that is now, but go for it. She said, then they told her if she'll also get her high school diploma and apply for college, he'll work to get her years as a janitor bridged toward a teacher's retirement. Mm. The same month that she turned 50 years old, my mother graduated from college at University of Mary Hardin Baylor in Waco, Texas, or Belton, Texas. She was able to go on with her education degree and she took over the Challenger High School. And she spent the next 15 years working with kids who were this close to dropping out. Some of them had already dropped out. Some of them, their life, their vision, their expectations were done. They were right where she was 30 years before. And she said, I'm not going to stand for you telling me that this is the best you'll ever do. And she helped hundreds of young people rewrite their stories and change the future of their life. Now I find myself doing the same thing. I encounter people at all levels who are rewriting the story of their life. They're finding out that what they've believed about themselves isn't true. And whether it's standing in front of a camera or standing on a platform or talking to your own kids or just looking yourself in the mirror to get psyched up before you go do an excellent job, if the story you're telling yourself is a mess, chances are that's what you're living to. Mm. So powerful. And this is a true story, yes? Yeah, absolutely true story. In fact, it's in my first book, Live a More Excellent Life, the first two chapters. I love that. 
And it, it makes such perfect sense. And it answers the question I was going to have is how did you get started in, you know, the, the process and the beauty of storytelling and you do an incredible job. And this just is it. It's an, it's such an incredible story that you have to share it. It's so powerful that it is, it can move and inspire so many people. Well, and you know, the, the reality is I didn't realize that there was any commercial viability to storytelling. I mean, I probably started telling stories when I would get myself in trouble as a young kid and they would tell me your grounding is that you can only play by yourself. And so I would stand on the side of the house with me and my stuffed animals and I would perform things like the Gilligan's Island opening theme song. And I would dance and I would sing and I would talk to my animals and just me and the stuffed animals and nobody else cared. And it's kind of like being on camera because I can't see anybody but the camera, except when I have, you know, my co-host here. The, the idea, though, of being able to perform in front of a crowd, it really was just my own entertainment to keep me from losing my mind. But I was at a Laurel Langmire conference. Wow, it's been probably 10 years or more now. And we all came to this conference to learn how to find the fastest path to cash. 30 Days to Fast Cash, I think is the name of the book. And she said, I just want you to realize that when you pitch it right, there's always something you can sell. It might be a lemonade stand. It might be a book. It might be, I don't know, recipes. You could sell anything if you're willing to do the work on it. And so that's what we all came to this class for, to figure out the fastest path to cash. But I listened to people around the circle as we moved from circle to circle, trying to tell about their thing that they were going to sell and why they were going to sell it. And as I listened to them, I realized there was no why behind it. I mean, their story was so discombobulated from the product that they had to sell that nobody wanted to buy it. They were just like, cool story. Why are you selling pot handles? I, I don't get it. <laughs> and I, I listened to a couple of those stories. And honestly, I went with my Live a More Excellent Life book, which if you've ever seen the very first version of it, go ahead and burn it for me. I'll send you a new one, I promise, because it had the ugliest cover in the history of book covers in the first design. No question about it. If there was an award for most hideous, I would have it. Did you give me a picture of that? I did not. <laughs> oh, okay. I if do you have. The web, I can, I'm sure you can find it, but uh, we've even updated it on Amazon. But I had that ugly book cover at Laurel Langmire's event, and I thought, well, I've got 10 of them. If I can at least sell the 10 of them while I'm here, that'll pay for my meals while I'm here before I head back. <laughs> and in that first day of circles, there was a lady that has beautiful cooling plates made of alabaster. And they were laser carved of two deer standing in the woods. And she told her story at the very beginning of the circle. And I listened to other people go around. And when she told her story, it didn't have any resonance whatsoever with this piece of beautiful art and kitchenware. So when it got to me, I didn't talk about my book. I didn't talk about my products. I didn't talk about my services. But for the first time ever, I told somebody else's story instead of my own. And when I was done she sold out. And I thought, hmm, interesting. So as we went around to other circles, I would pick someone out of the circle and I would, I would tell their story and inevitably they would sell out. And I was like, I need to be getting a commission on this or something because I haven't sold anything of my own. So during the break, what we were all instructed to do was to say, if you could 10X what you're selling now, what would you sell instead? So I put a sign around my neck that says, I can tell your story for $97. There you go. 
I didn't sell out, but I sold enough to pay for my food and my hotel and my airfare home. And I came out of it with a couple of coaching clients as well. And I didn't realize until then, not only did I have a knack for telling stories of my own to be self-entertained, but I had a way of hearing other people's stories and finding the connection, not just a punchline, but how do you make that story profitable? And that has been a natural gift, I guess, but I've spent a whole lot of time since then honing that skill, listening to other people's stories and always asking the question, why does the audience care? Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Yeah, and I've seen you do that. And you did an incredible job, really mind blowing what you can take and how you can navigate it to that, to where the audience is sucked in. I think even just like the story you shared just now on the show about your mother, I was very drawn in. It's easy to do that when you're a great storyteller and it's the emotion behind that. Right. And I love how you went you know, and, and you really were learning and understanding the the human language, right? And how we interact and what we are drawn to. When you went to these conferences and you were seeing and observing what that was and that people didn't listen to stories that didn't really relate or have the emotion, but they would they would buy into something that did. Well, and, and the, I think for a lot of people, the challenge is, and, and you may have heard me say this before, um, nobody goes to Home Depot to buy drill bits. Nobody. I mean, because nobody collects drill bits. I mean, it's not like the little tiny spoons, which I just recently heard baby spoons are outlawed. Who knew? But little <laughs> baby spoons apparently are somehow related to doing drugs, and so they're considered drug paraphernalia. My grandmother had 800 of those silly things, but now they're outlawed, so you can't have them. But people collect those. They would buy them on purpose. All right. In all of my adult life, I cannot remember. Well, I take that back. Until recently, I never bought a drill bit because I wanted a drill bit. Never. And most people don't buy drill bits because they want drill bits. And the reality is people get on stage or they start writing a book or they start a show. And what they want to do is tell their story. And the reality is they want to tell their story because it's cathartic. It feels good. It makes you feel good to tell the story. Now, the challenge with that is sometimes telling your story is like buying drill bits. 
nobody really wanted it when you when you started. And so until they can figure out why they want it, and that's where a lot of people miss. They tell what feels important to them. And they never ask the question, why does the audience want to know my story? What, what does it matter? And so they tell the story because it makes them feel good. And, and the sad reality is sometimes the only relationship the story has to the people in the audience is the ones who can say, oh, I feel for you. Oh, great. So you got a little pity. Awesome. Right. Oh, what good was that? Or for people to say, oh, that makes me angry. I, I want to go. I want to go smack that person in the head for what they did to you. Or, you know, can we send donations somewhere? And if those are your motive and those are the reasons that, that you want to tell your story, then, you know, rock on. But what really people want out of their story is like when we go to buy drill bits. So if I, if I can tell you a story about my drill bit. Yes, you can. So we recently bought a new house. Nice little town in the middle of nowhere outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, uh, Metroplex on the lake. Cute little house. It's a barn dominium. And the guy who built the barn dominium had the foresight to build these beautiful tile walk-in showers. And when I say walk-in shower, my wife can, and I can both get in the shower and do jumping jacks. There's that much room in the shower, <laughs> which is really cool. I don't know that we would ever do that, but you could. But it, he also did Not while it's over. wet, you can't. Yeah, not, I don't not wise, <laughs> not wise, <laughs> but he also didn't put a wall or a place to hang a shower curtain. And so when the shower gets wet, it's not just the shower that gets wet. It's the whole bathroom. Mm. And I had this fear that I was going to step out of the shower, crack my head on the toilet and be found by the EMS laying <laughs> naked in the floor. And that fear kept me awake at night. I do not want to be found by the EMS laying naked in the floor. The last thing I need is volunteer firefighters dragging me out of the floor. Not a visual image anyone should ever have to. No, withstand. and would you say when you've served in that way, you 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 do have a fear. You develop this fear of I will never yes. be found like this. Oh, I we've drugged people out of burning cars and literally had to cut their cut their pant leg from the ankle all the way to the waist to expose everything, looking for a bleeding femoral artery or something of that nature. And so, yeah, yeah you know you're. You're taking their life in your hands, but the last thing you want to do is invade their privacy or leave them with no discretion. And when someone is incapacitated and they're counting on you to save their life, there's a lot of discretion that's required. Unfortunately, I've walked worked around a lot of people that they don't have that level of discretion. They don't have the professionalism, the maturity to say, I'm not going to tell you what I saw. In fact, there's a guy right now who's doing really well on his social media channels by telling stories of the EMS, of people that he's found in questionable oh. situations. And he's just telling the story like it really is. And some of them are appalling, but they're humorous. And he tells them in a humorous way. And I'm thinking, I would hate to be the person that he's telling that story about. So I had to have a solution. And the solution was I had to build a half wall. So I went to Home Depot and I said, listen, here's what I got. I got this big shower and I want to put glass on one side of it so the water stays in the shower. He said, okay. I said, now my problem is the whole shower is built of ceramic tile and then that tile is glued to concrete. So I need somehow to attach this wall to that tile. He said, well, there's some great glue for that, but it's not going to stay with glue alone. You need some anchors, okay? Tell me about anchors. He said, well, if you've got to go through masonry and concrete, you need a very specific kind of a bit. I said, a bit? He said, yeah, a drill bit. A drill bit that's made to drill ceramic tile without shattering it. Okay, I didn't know there was such a thing. 
And that day, for the first time ever, I bought a drill bit because I had to have that specific drill bit. $17 for one drill bit. And I did not go to Home Depot because I wanted a drill bit. I went to Home Depot because I didn't want to be found by the EMS and be in a compromising position. I went to Home Depot because I wanted to put up a glass wall. I went to Home Depot because I needed to protect myself and my vanity. And the only solution for that was a drill bit. I'm going to tell you, there are a whole lot of people out there who have stories to tell. And their aggrandized version of their story in their head is that this is the be all end all of the most entertaining, most emotionally provocative story you've ever experienced in your life. And it may be true, but it may be like saying, I sell golden drill bits. Because until someone can figure out how that story makes their life better, it doesn't matter. You might be entertaining. You might be a great comedian. All those things are good. But if it doesn't bring them hope and help and make their life better, chances are they're not buying it. So there really is this science and structure to storytelling, which is what you specialize in. And, you know, I... I didn't really understand that until I started speaking more and learning more and watching people speak and started to learn that science just a little bit. I, I certainly have so much more to learn. But you, yeah, you're right. You've talked about how you could lead somebody to feel sorry for you. You could lead somebody to be angry for you. But that's not what you want the end intention to be. And so there, there's this, again, the structure or this, you know, there's you have to have a couple of different emotions throughout the story. And then there's different timings. How much time do you have to tell the story? And there's a lot that goes into it. Absolutely. Now, I, you know, I was thinking as you were uh, talking about the EMT sharing other people's stories, what I thought about that you know, and, and being on the wellness driven life store store, being on the wellness driven life show that when we share our stories, there's so much of this healing aspect to it. And yes. you, you know, when we, I encourage people to go out and share their stories because of that. And what do you think that he is doing just that, that it's kind of this healing essence for him? I know I'm past law enforcement and you get this sort of, you joke around in a way that most people aren't able to do because you see the worst of the worst, but you have to have that out. All that right, outlet. I think yeah, I think there probably is some, some expression of that. And, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, there are stories that I would only tell my wife because they're so embarrassing, even if they're for somebody else. You know, I, confidentiality, obviously, in the coaching world is a big deal. Uh, I ask for permission when I'm going to share somebody's stories or I just tell them. And, and sometimes they'll say something and they realize how silly it was when they said it. And I'm like, that's probably going to end up in a video. And they're like, yeah, I know. And, and and it's kind of a kind of an admission. And so I think there are some stories that they kind of run that gamut. On the one end, it's it's a release for, for the EMT to be able to say, you are not going to believe what I just saw. On the other end, it is, I can't keep this inside because it's just going to make me explode. But probably somewhere in the middle is the value of the education. The, the things that you think no one would ever do that, that's just the craziest thing ever. And then somebody does. You know, there's the only reason there's a label on a snowblower that says, do not use this on the roof is because somebody tried. 
And if they hadn't tried and ended in calamity, right? <laughs> somebody had to be the first to think of it. It's probably a teenage boy, to be honest with you, because that's what they do. But mm-hmm. once it's happened the first time, they were like, no, that that is such a bad idea. And you wonder, where was dad to go? That was a bad idea. But see, now we've got a whole string of stories about where was dad and why did he put it on this? What was he thinking when he did it? I tell stories about my boys all the time when they were young doing things and I would catch them in the middle. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, that's exactly what I was trying to do. I'm like, that's a really dumb idea. He's like, yeah, but I, I had to figure it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so that story sometimes is healing. Sometimes it's coming of age. Sometimes it's, it's a revelation. And sometimes it really is. Let me tell you what I just saw. So you don't do this yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the giving part you know, to how we're, we're educating others through our stories, through what we've already experienced. So we'll go into our first commercial. And when we get back, I would love to know more about the history of storytelling. When we come back, stay tuned. Hello, everyone. I am Kim Jacobs, the host of The Kim Jacobs Show. And you all know who's right here with me, Dr. Les Brown. How are you, Dr. Brown? I'm blessed and highly favored. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the time you want to give yourself a competitive edge. If you got a message, you have some knowledge or experience, a story, or if you want to do something adventurous and exciting with your life that can increase your credibility, expose you to millions of people, I'm encouraging you to have your own talk show. I used to have a talk show. That one talk show catapulted me to another level. Now there are more people watching the internet, as you are aware, than television. Come on, somebody. That's right. Dr. Kim Jacobs, she trained people on how to have their own talk show. She will train you how to do that. And now with me working, partnering with her, now you have the combination of an audience, expansive audience. We have over 4 million people in all of our platforms and the coaching you need to grow your business, to grow your multi-level marketing organization, to draw more attention to yourself in this noisy economy. Go ahead, Kim. So in the training that I do, Les, I actually do a six-week training. It's one hour per week. And each week I meet with the individuals one-on-one, We go through and we talk about all of the things that's necessary for a show to become a reality. We go from how to actually identify your focus area, what's going to be your ideal customer that's going to be tuning in. We'll talk about how to get guests, how to get sponsorship, how to go about getting your lighting, your branding, and your banners, and everything that you need to know. And guess what, Les? They own their own content at the end of the day. And that's exciting. Now, if you're ready to to create a shift in your business and in your life and increase your cash flow, I want you to go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. It's right there on the screen. KimJacobsConsulting.com. You know, people say opportunity knocks on every door. No. Opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. So I want you to recognize that this is a time for you. This is an incredible time to have your own talk show. It establishes a level of credibility. Yes. And by being exposed to people on a regular basis, it allows you to strategically 
begin to impact and attract your audience. She can take you in a place in yourself that you can't go by yourself. So go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. That's KimJacobsConsulting.com. Did I say KimJacobsConsulting.com? Yes, you did. Very good. Make sure you go there and sign up for the coaching. And we're looking forward to working with you. You have something special. You have greatness within you. That's my story. And that's Kim's story. And we're sticking to it. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. All right. So when we start talking about story power and the narrative that we lead, I wanted to bring in a little bit of your knowledge on the history of speaking and telling our stories because so many people and you know this, this is why you have the profession that you do, but so many people, it's, it's a huge fear. It's almost as if humans have this innate fear of wanting to get on stage and speak in front of a crowd. Can you tell me a little bit about your knowledge in that? So I think it was Seinfeld, and I'm not sure if Seinfeld was the original quote or not, but in one of his stand-up routines, he said, you know, the number one fear in the world is not death. That's number two. The number one fear is public speaking, which means at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than speaking the eulogy over it. That's a strong, strange reality, but it's true. And I run into a lot of people. In fact, it's it's a strange dichotomy because on the one hand, I run into people who say, I feel like I have a story to tell, but I want somebody else to tell it. Well, that doesn't have the same weight. Yeah. And then I run into people who just say, help me write the speech that sells. I want to write the speech that sells. Just that one speech that, you know, like Les Brown, if you've ever heard, you got to be hungry. You've already heard, you got to be hungry. Mm-hmm. And that speech doesn't change a lot, but the audiences do. Yeah. And that speech has been told millions of times all over the world for both great revenue and great impact. Because it's like listening to, I don't know, Ice Ice Baby, the one hit wonder. Yeah. Ice Ice Baby didn't have 47 other songs. Vanilla Ice did one or two songs that were worth listening to. And it's the repeated story that has the impact. But once you've heard it, you want all your friends to hear it. And guess what you want them to hear? You want them to hear the same thing you heard. So a well-told, well-rehearsed, well-practiced, well-crafted, crafted is extremely important, story 
can have some really long legs. But not everybody has the ability to tell their story in a well-crafted, long form like Les Brown tells his. There are a few people, Les Brown, Bo Eason, and James Barber, a few other people who have done what I would call the one-act play on stage, where they can take and spin their life into a, a long, singular story. Yeah. And it has great impact, and it reaches a lot of people. But for people who want to imitate that, that's a lot of work with just one story. Here's what I find with most people, though. The amount of time that it takes to answer a question is on average about two to two and a half minutes. That's kind of your max. And as TikTok, as TikTok continues to rewire the brains of young people, that 15 to 30 seconds, that's really the answer they're looking for. They ask you a question, they get a Harry Potter novel. They stopped listening a long time ago and you're still talking. And at some point they're going, why are you still talking? They're not listening to the relevance of your story. They're not listening for the impact of your story. They're just still talking. So I learned it from Dale Carnegie. I guess it was about 2004. I went through the Dale Carnegie course the first time. Then I became a Dale Carnegie coach for the next five years. And what he You liked that, him, did you? Say again? That Dale Carnegie stuff? Yes, I, I did. <laughs> I coached that for five years. Yeah. And his magic formula is how to tell the story in two minutes. And he gives some really clear outlines in it. You can find it in the uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. And in the Strictly Business course, we walked people through it repeatedly. I use a very similar format to that. I hold his storytelling process in high esteem because it was never about public speaking. It was kind of the backhanded way to get people to speak better in public. And here's what I learned. Mm -hmm. People who have a fear of public speaking usually don't fear public speaking. Mm -hmm. What they fear is being rejected. They fear saying something silly. They fear people looking at them and going, is that really true? And so that fear of the shame, the fear of the rejection, the fear of not being accepted, the fear of what they have to say, being forgotten or coming out all wrong. We've heard songs written about it for decades. What I do find, though, is that when you squeeze a pineapple, ketchup doesn't come out. <laughs> when you squeeze a pineapple, what's in it is what comes out. And so most of my job in preparing public speakers has little to do with their speech on stage and a lot more to do with the who that they are. And the more we work on the who that they are, the more comfortable they are with their story, the more they can find the relationship between the drill bitness of their story and the benefit or or bonus it's going to offer to their audience, the more natural that story begins to come out of them. Mm -hmm. And the first time you tell your story, the most painful, the most gritty, the most realistic, the most heart-wrenching, the one that makes you want to cry your eyes out just thinking about it, the first time you tell that story and people run up and hug you around your neck and go, I will never forget you telling me that story. You changed my life. You begin to realize the power of that story. And you're now about 30% of the way there. Because you've got to get beyond, that's the first win, that's called connection. You've got to get beyond mm -hmm. that and now get them to take action. Yeah, so when, but when you, you have that connection, you feel that acceptance, right? And so the rejection piece is, is slightly gone, right? Like you said, that you're about 30% of the way there. But if, yes. if it is the rejection aspect, which makes perfect sense, then 
you know, once you have those, you know, few people or, or many people accept you, enjoy that you shared the story, are so grateful of it, it opens yourself up to so many new possibilities. Well, and the next 30% of that is not just that I heard your story and my life will be a little bit different because I've resonated with you. I feel the same thing, I, et cetera, et cetera. But the next step in that is when they say, I could finish your story because I lived through the same thing. Yeah. And, and I find this on a regular basis. I didn't recognize it at first, but I would tell a story about a relationship with my daughter. And the very first time I told it, it was a room of about 10 people and everybody came up and they wanted to hug my neck and say hi to my daughter, who at that time was filming with my iPhone. The next time I told that story, there were probably 50 people in the room. The next time I told that story, there were 1,500. This was in the championship competition for the world champion of public speaking with Toastmasters. And so when I made it to the semifinals and there were 1,800 people in the room, the reaction was they all wanted to hug my daughter and not me. Because they saw the healing mm. in our relationship, but they saw the victim in her. And our society, unfortunately, really celebrates victims right now. But the people who resonated with her status as a victim in that story saw themselves as a victim. And so the first level of connection is your story connected with me. I feel what you felt that you, it was well told, et cetera, et cetera. The next level is when they say, I see myself in your story as you're telling that story and they can come up and finish the story or, or tell their own version of it. And it almost sounds identical. Now you've got the 65% win. You've won the connection. You've won the resonance. Now the only thing is to win the action. And that's when they take the action that you're advising. Join the class, come to the master class, be a part of the show, read the book, write the book, get off your couch, get busy with your life, move on with mm -hmm. your relationships, whatever it is that you're advising them to do. It's nice to connect. You know, you got the hug, the high five, whatever at the end of the day, that's not going to make you profitable. It's not going to make them better. It's nice to go to the next win and know that they could tell the same story because you've so well selected the story that you've crafted to tell that audience. But when you can get them to take action, that's when you win and win and win. The triple win is to connect, to resonate, and to draw to action. Connect, resonate, draw to action. Yes. I love it. And when, so I'm, I'm keep rotating throughout a couple of your websites because I want people to make sure they can reach you. But what I'm, there's so much that I'm getting through this and through our storytelling, there's, there's a lot of us, we all have stories, every single one of us. And I remember you saying at one point, you should have a hundred stories in your pocket, ready yes. to go. And as you read the room, know when to pull the right one out at the right time. But I want to go back to the, the essence of the story and why it's important for us to be clear on that narrative. And when we were not clear, if you want to talk about this a little bit, we can't be clear on anything in our life. The vision is not there, right? And Absolutely. we may have these dreams and these goals and desires, and we may want to help change the world or be an activist in some shape or form. But until we gain that clarity on the story and the narrative, it's pretty, you know, you can't do that. And then needing that three parts. Well, and so the, 
I believe it was Stephen Covey who first coined the phrase begin with the end in mind. Yes. And so the first phase of story power, uh, the story power masterclass, whether it's online or live, it, it always starts the same. And that is story selection. That's about knowing which one of the hundred stories is going to connect with the audience that's in front of you. And you may have your speech written that you're going to walk to the front of the room with. And the minute you start or you get on the show or you get in front of the camera or you get on front of the stage or you pick up your pen to write your book and you start telling that story and then you realize none of the people in the audience are actually in the story that I'm telling. It's time right then to stop and put another story in that place that better resonates with the audience in front of you. It looks like them. It sounds like them. It feels like them. There's a much higher chance that they're going to connect with that story. Mm. But you don't do that just to connect with them, just to manipulate them, just to connect an emotion with them and cause them to react emotionally. No, you begin with the end in mind, which means our fourth step. So we want to select the story. We want to craft the story. We want to focus on connection, which is a whole section on the psychology of story. Like, here's one for you. You've probably been told all your life, use word pictures. I could demonstrate for you why word pictures are traumatically dangerous. But the last step is to lead the narrative. And what do I mean by that? We need to understand that every story is its own narrative, but every story stacked together creates a meta-narrative. And that meta-narrative drives people in a direction of behavior. If you've watched a series of ads on cars or homes or the place to live or the, or the right vacation trip or which airlines to take, they tell you a story from the very beginning, but most of them also have a series of four to seven ads that are sequenced together. Some of them are designed for the 15 second spot or the 30 second spot or the one minute spot, but they all kind of lead you down the same path and they're intentional. News stories do the same thing. Great narrators in a, in a television program or a long form movie will do the same thing. They lead you down a path to a conclusion. It's not necessarily persuasion or manipulation in a negative form. It's just, we want you to draw a conclusion, but the reality is a good storyteller doesn't tell you the conclusion. They draw you a map to get there. They expect you to finish the gap. My son, when he's 25 now, but when he was two, I could draw 52 circles on a, on a piece of paper. As soon as his hand was old enough to pick, him, to pick up a pencil, if there was any circle that wasn't complete, that was the first thing he did. He found every circle that had a little gap in it, and he completed the gap. It was beside himself to let those gaps go unfilled. There's something in all of us that feels like the story is not quite complete. And when a great storyteller takes us down that path, we have an idea where that's going to land. And in all honesty, listen to the best comedians, whether it's Jerry Seinfeld or, or Judy Brooks or Judy Carter, any of them that, that teach on comedy, and here's what they tell you. The premise is the setup. The punchline is when you have a setup that leads you another direction and the punchline goes another way. It's like one, two, L. You're like one, two, L. No, it's one, two, three. I know, I know three comes after L. And so when you're storytelling and you're leading them down a path, you want them to come to that conclusion. But when people own the conclusion... Nobody can argue with them. When you give it to them, they might even question it. But if you lead them down a path where they own the conclusion, they're like, this is what dawns on me when you say those things. Great. Now you have ownership of the answer. It's not mine. It's yours. And if you've had that connection and you've had that resonance 
And now you've led them to a narrative that they own. They're like, I have to do something. Great. Now all I have to do is offer you a something to do. And we have business together. Tell me why it would be important for anyone, all of us, let's say, not necessarily somebody who's going into the speaking world or in corporate or in sales, but anyone on any level, why would it be important to own your narrative? Okay. So there's a, there's a couple of things going on there and, and uh, I'm going to pull back the kimono just a little bit and let you know it as a father of four and a grandfather of 10, some of the narratives that I see in the public school system today, some of the books that the little kids are bringing home, I'm like, I mean, maybe you've seen some of the videos that are floating around on social media where parents, teachers, pastors read from the books that their elementary kids have brought home from the school. And the school board says, no, no, you can't say that out loud in public. Well, then why can my five-year-old read it? You can't say that on the nightly news. There, there was one of those recently where somebody actually was holding up the book. And they cut to commercial after blurring the page. So you can't show that on TV. He's like, well, then why would you give it to my elementary age kid? Right. If it's not right for the grownups to see it, why would you give it to somebody who doesn't have a filter to block it out? That is a narrative. That is a collection of stories strung together to lead you to a conclusion mm -hmm. that they want you to have on your own. And so you own it, i.e. you're responsible for it, which means you'll take action on it. But when you're seven, when you're 10, when you're 13, you're taking action on people's advice that sounds good in the moment. I remember a comedy routine where somebody said, dad is great. He gives us a chocolate cake. Well, but it has milk and sugar and, and all these eggs in it. I mean, it must be healthy, right? No, it's not. That mm -hmm. collection of things together becomes something very toxic. And there are stories that are being fed to our children, to our leaders, to our families, to our teens. Right? If you don't think story power has a direct impact on mental illness, on mm -hmm. mental health of our teen girls right now, go spend 25 minutes on TikTok. Yeah. And, and if you're not ready to run your own head into a wall, you've missed <laughs> something. But the self-esteem attack, that's a narrative. That you're not good enough attack, that's mm -hmm. a narrative. The identity, that's a narrative. If you look in the mirror and you don't know who you are, that's a problem. But the problem is that there's a counter narrative that's destroying self-esteem and confidence and family relationship. Mm -hmm. You can't trust your parents. Don't tell them anything. Tell your school teachers, tell your school counselors. That's a narrative. And in my book, in my opinion, that's a problem. Parents should be the first line and the last line of defense for their own kids. Not everybody agrees with that. I get that. You have your right to your opinion. I have a right to mine, even if I'm wrong. <laughs> but the story is the narrative. When, when my boys were growing up and I would talk to them about various experiences that I had as a kid, a lot of them were like that EMS story. I remember as a kid myself in Tim Monroe trying to put a tractor trailer on a uh, tire on the top of our house. My mom bought it to build a sandbox out of, but we were bored with the sandbox idea. So we put this enormous six foot tall tire on the roof of the house to roll it down the hill. It went down the hill through the fence and through the neighbor's back patio glass door. Oh. Now my boys think that's hilarious. 
when they're 10 and 12 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm so glad we don't live on a hill with the neighbor down the down the hill mm -hmm. from us with a patio door because they would be trying to do that because they thought it was so funny. I didn't tell the story just to amuse them. I told the story to remind them I'm human. And chances are, because I was once a boy, when you're coming up with these crazy ideas, I've been there, done that. <laughs> I'm probably going to catch you. Sometimes I'll join you. We went on a New Year's Eve getaway. My wife and my boys and I, we went to a nice little bed and breakfast in the middle of nowhere on the Lampasas River. A friend of mine from high school had the, a nice little hunting lodge. I said, we don't want to hunt. We want to do some target practice, but really we just want to get away from the big city. I wake up the next morning and my boys are in their boxer shorts in the river on New Year's Day. Oh, no. I'm like, I... I don't know what you were thinking. They're thinking, we were thinking it was cold. I'm like, were you right? They're like, yeah, but we saw so many fish and that was the coolest thing. And to this day, almost 15 years later, they still talk about it. What a bonding moment. You can't create a moment like that. But see, that's a story that leads to a narrative. I was walking through Bass Pro with my sons. This giant, beautiful picture of an old 50s model pickup, tailgates down. It's parked right at the riverbank. A, a father and son sitting on the tailgate fishing. And I tapped my son on the shoulder. I'm like, is that cool or what? He said, yeah, but you never took me fishing like that. Ouch. Yeah. It's a narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a narrative. And so those things that we do together, like both of my boys, uh, one of them already has his motorcycle. In fact, he has three of them now. Uh, the other one is it, it, it's almost paid off. He will have his motorcycle soon. And one of our determinations is to ride the Pacific Coast Highway together. Why? Yeah. Well, because I've had motorcycles as long as they've been alive. And they want, before I'm too old to ride anymore or can't or won't, they want to ride a long road trip together. And they're now at the age that we're all just about capable of doing that. It's kind of a window of time we have right now. That's a narrative. That's a story that we tell together. It's a story we tell about our family. Our mm -hmm. family has a story of faith, of patriotism, of service, of doing for others. Yeah. That's our narrative. That's our story. As a storyteller, it doesn't matter if you're talking about the school board or mom and dad at the dinner table. The stories you tell about the family that you have, those are a narrative. And if you've selected those stories well enough, you can drive the direction of your family for generation after generation. We know this because even in some of the oldest religious texts, what we know is that those stories were passed down before there was such a thing as writing. Yeah. Before the hieroglyphs, these stories were passed down from generation to generation. Stories are immensely powerful. They are. Even if they're lies. Yeah. Ah, very, very powerful. I want to bring in some photos and I'd love for you to share about them. So I was sitting at dinner and this guy sits down next to me. We were invited to an awards banquet dinner and didn't know anybody there except the lady who was hosting it because she was a coaching client of mine. I'd been helping her work on stories and tell the narrative about her business. Uh, she's since gone on and someone else has taken over uh, the ministry because she's no longer on this earth. But in the work that she was doing, she had run into different people all over the planet. And this guy sat down next to me, never seen him before, looked like he had just walked off the football field with the Dallas Cowboys. He is enormous, big, big guy probably one of three African-American people in the entire room. And he got seated at the same table with me. 
And we sat there for probably two hours after the event was over swapping stories. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy who's traveled all over the world, all over the United States, done all kinds of stuff in the world of politics and teaching and education. He has his master's degree in education, uh, graduated from the University of Iowa as a D1 football player. I mean, he's done some stuff. And he had this pin on, looked just like that one. And I said, uh, what's with the pin? And so he began to explain the journey that he went on to get it. Well, over the next three and a half, four years, we did a lot of work together. We drove in an RV across the country. We drove in box trucks across the country to train veterans on how to launch their own logistics business. We've done events in downtown Dallas, Texas, and, and the Oak Cliff right after the shootings and after the George Floyd events, where we brought together young people and police officers and asked the question, what if we all just said we want to go home tonight? What if we start there? We had roundtables with law enforcement officers from all over the country, led by this gentleman. At the end of it all, he asked me, how much volunteer work do you think you've done? And I said, well, I've been volunteering at one particular high school for over 10 years. I've been to the Congo to train parliament leaders. I've been to Cuba to train ministry leaders. I've been to Brazil to train business leaders. Uh, I've, I've done quite a bit of volunteer work. And he said, you know, put together a list of all those. And if it comes up to 13,000 hours, I would love to nominate you to have a pen just like mine. I don't have it on this jacket. I have it on the one that I keep in my garment bag because I want it to go everywhere that I go. And I wear that Lifetime Achievement Award from the President of the United States as a, a badge of honor and to remind me that you're here for other people, not for yourself. If I don't die a millionaire, I'll be sad that I didn't have a great amount of wealth to leave behind for my kids in the monetary way. But if I leave them a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and compassion and they're better people because mm. of the impact that I've had on their life, I win. Mm. And I think it's true for everybody that I impact. If I walk out of your life and you remember me because I made your life better, I win. That's all I want. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. Incredible. Thank you. And these are your books, yes? Uh, yes, five of them. Um, there are two more in the works. And, and actually, there's a companion to that, Learn to Roar Leadership. There's one called Learn to Roar Communication. And so there, that, that's another one. Attitude Hack is probably one of my most challenging pieces. That one and the two Learn to Roar books have been at a state of about 85% completion since 2018. Mm. Um, I'm a marinator. I'm one of those guys that if I were to switch camera angles, you could see I have two bookshelves that are probably six foot wide. They're floor to ceiling built in bookshelves and every shelf is stacked too deep and some still have books on top. I'm a voracious reader, constantly studying, reading everything that I can get my hands on. And I study things in the area of communication and civics and politics and religion and faith in all of those areas. But I really focus on how we communicate. And Dr. Caroline Leaf has a quote that I think is extremely powerful. She said, attitude is what you think about how you feel and how you feel about what you think. So it doesn't really matter whether you think first or you feel first. Where those two things come together, that's your attitude. Well, we know that attitude is contagious. In fact, I say it this way. There's nothing in the world more contagious than an attitude. Not even a common cold is more contagious than an attitude. But what is it? that shapes our attitude. 
The answer is the narrative. Well, where does the narrative come from? The collection of stories that we've heard and believed. Where do those come from? Well, some of those come from inside of us and some of those come from outside of us, which means our attitude is all about the story we tell, the things that we believe, the narrative that we follow and how we choose to feel about that. Yeah. So I would say that that's what you do. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you really help people shift how how they tell their story about themselves and, you know, envision what they want to continue that to be and how they continue to tell the story. Absolutely. And and if you already have a vision for where you want to go, and in, in the first book, Live a More Excellent Life, I talk about the importance of vision. And I recall a song by Tracy Lawrence where he says, paint me a Birmingham, little house on the edge of town, a porch all the way around, put her there and the front yard swing in a cotton dress, make it early spring. And the lyrics of the first verse of that song are so picturesque. Mm -hmm. If I were to ask you, have you seen that in downtown Dallas or Houston or downtown Atlanta? People would be like, well, no, you would never see that in any of those places. But you might see it in the countryside of any small town America. You might see that house with the porch all the way around. But here's what I find to be true, most people, can tell you that, and they'll tell you that from a memory they've experienced. They're recalling something they've experienced, and most people have a fond memory of that scene, even if they've never been there. But let me tell you the more magical part of that. The reticular activating system in the brain is that thing that doesn't know the past from the future. It doesn't know the present from 10 years from now. It also doesn't know the truth from a lie. And when you paint pictures, the reticular activating system begins to look for that picture that you've painted until it becomes a reality. Zig Ziglar said it's a green Buick theory. Nobody has a green Buick until you buy one. Now everybody has a green Buick. When we can paint a picture in our minds that is so picturesque that other people go, I've seen that, I know where that's located. When you come to that space in your life and you realize I've been talking about this for years, now I'm here. And my family had a moment like that. We pulled up in front of an old log cabin that a guy had built from the ground up. It was for sale and way out of our price range. But everybody in the car, when I pulled up to it and we looked at it, they went, that's Birmingham, Dad. You've been talking about it for years. It was in the middle of Northeast Texas somewhere. But they recognized that that was the dream. That was the vision that we had all talked about for years. They knew when we arrived at that place that this is the place we were striving for. When a good storyteller can build a narrative that paints a picture that drives people to the vision, then that narrative really does drive them in the direction of that. And when they can see this is what life would be like if you got it all together, if you took the action that I'm recommending, if you do what has to be done, mm. say no where you need to, say yes where you need to, your life could look like that. That's the purpose of the narrative. And that's the purpose of selecting the stories that connect with the people that drive them down the path to get them to that place. But if you don't know where you want to take them, right. you can't get them there. Right. Attitude is usually the biggest obstacle to getting anybody there because it's the attitude that connects them to their old confirmation bias and their old belief systems that are all jacked up. It's the story that causes them to go, huh, had really thought of it like that. Now we're getting somewhere because now you realize you need a drill bit. Let me give you the drill bit. Absolutely. And 
you know, really the way that we give back and we serve each other is through that. Yes. And um, so I wanted to show too, these are the other, This these are the next two books that are coming or no? Uh, actually, sorry. both of those books are done. The one on the right is the uh, five battle positions of a happy wife. My wife wrote that book. Uh, the one on the left is the five battle strategies of a victorious warrior. And so part of our narrative, part of our story, uh, in fact, if you've got time for another quick story, I can share this one with you to, to really put it in context. Do you have time yeah. for another story? Yeah, let's do it. So we went to Pine Cove Family Camp in East Texas. As we were walking out of the sanctuary that day, we stopped right outside the door and she turned to me and she said those four words that make every man tremble. We need to talk. <laughs> oh, that's as bad as turn your head and cough. There is nothing worse than we need to talk. Now, I know this. I came into our marriage with a, an addiction to pornography. I was molested at nine years old, and it sent me down a really bad path. And so for the next 25 years, I wrestled with that addiction. So here we are 10 years into our marriage, and I brought it with me. All the baggage you could possibly imagine that came along with that. I also knew that I was fat and unlovable. It was proven by all the relationships that had gone bad in my life. I probably sabotaged every one of them up to that moment. In fact, I had tried several times to get her to go away, even after 10 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. And so I figured at the end of this day, when we need to talk, it's going to sound something like, I'm done with you. I put up with all I can handle. I can't do this anymore. I found somebody better. You're right. You're fat and unlovable. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. And I think... That was more than I could handle emotionally. I spent the rest of the day somewhere between I'm angry and I just want to throw up. We sat down on the bed at the end of the night. And she looked me in the eye and she said to me, when you tell me that you're fat and unlovable, you're asking me to believe a lie. I know everything that you've done and I have forgiven everything that you've done. I know God sent you to be a gift to me. I love you just like you are and I need you to see you the way I do. Aww. Those words saved our relationship, saved my life, probably in a very literal way. There's a real good chance I would have walked away and put an end to myself if I'd lost her and my kids at that point. I uh, uh, September will be 29 years. That's so beautiful. And the power of vulnerability, right? And I wanted to bring in this picture because this is a picture of you with your wife. Yes. And and you can tell a little bit about this photo as well. But I thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that story. Well, this particular photo was uh, December of 22 when my wife and I went to the 10X Stages event that uh, Grant Cardone and Pete Vargas had put together as part of the uh, Great American Speak Off. And I won a golden ticket in Dallas and went to the semifinals and competed in the final. I think it was 32,000 people eventually had entered that event. And we were down to the final 150. So I made it to the final 150 in Miami. And part of that included five days of training with Pete Vargas' team on uh, stages and stage presentation, developing your signature talk and that kind of thing. So my wife went through that training as well, even though she says about 10 words a year. <laughs> she, she didn't talk much, huh? Here's a, here's a, here's a great picture. And that was at the Gaylord Texan right after I spoke to the Texas PTA. Um, they had their state convention there. I'm, I'm actually slated to speak there again in July, in July of 23. So 
but that we took that picture that that Sunday afternoon and and had a, a great time that day. And she got to sit in the back and record the class, and it was really good. I I love that you share that and that you've shared. If if my wife wouldn't had said that to me, you know, I'm not sure where the marriage would have would have been. And there's something about having a partner alongside you that is exactly that for you when you feel your worst because we're human and we're not always going to you know be cheery and happy and feel great but to have somebody alongside you that is you know wanting to tell you hey I love you for who you are and and I know that this isn't you right now or I, I just thank you so much for sharing that absolutely so again, I want to make sure that everybody knows how to find you. And one of your websites is www.storypowermasterclass.com. And as fitting as it is, you know, the label of that. And then www.jlaurennorris.com. That is J-L-O-R-E-N-N-O-R-R-I-S.com. For those of you who are listening, most of you are going to be watching the replay. And so I also want you to know that all of this information is in the description below. So be sure to check that out. And if you have questions and comments, leave them in the comments section and we will return that. Jay, it's it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience today? I do. Just one last quick story. Uh, in January of 22, we did the Story Power Masterclass up in Allen, Allen McKinney area. And there was a young lady that was in that class, and she knows I tell this story, so it is with permission. Um, about halfway through the class, I noticed she wasn't taking notes anymore. She'd been taking very copious notes. And I looked up and she was sitting with her arms crossed with a very angry look on her face. And so I stopped the class and I just looked at her. I said, what's going on? And she said, I just realized that my husband used stories just like you in court to take custody of my kids from me. Oh. And I'm really feeling triggered and angry and taken advantage of right now. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped for a moment and I said, um, I want you to get a mental picture real quick. We're standing on a cliff and I'm going to push you. And then I'm going to jump right behind you. And I need you to answer the question, do you trust me? Because I'm the only one with a parachute. Now, if you believe that I love you, that I care about you, that your best interest is my best interest, then embrace me and we'll get through this together. And if you don't believe that, then I understand. But before you answer that question, and I asked my wife to come out of the control booth, she was doing all the video production for that day. And I, I, I had her walk right over to the young lady and I said, Karen, do you believe that I love her? And Karen said, there's no doubt in my heart. It, it takes something special to be the kind of woman who says, not only do I acknowledge that he loves people like that, but I have no jealousy in it. Mm. I have no threat in it. And I can love you the same way. I carry in my wallet business cards that have my wife's phone number on them because I'm so often running into strangers and telling stories. And when I do, they connect. 
but I don't give them my phone number. I give them my wife's. And I say, before we go any further with our relationship, I want you to know, especially if they're young women, I want you to know that there's a woman in this world who cares as much about you as I do. And that's my wife. And I think that's an integral part of what we're called to do. And it's it's the most impactful thing that we can do. I can also tell you, that young lady is now a raving fan everywhere. I see her every network event, every other event that I've spoken at. She runs across the room to hug my neck. Uh, there was somebody else in that class that day who was a, a multi-degree professor and minister. And she stopped and she said, I've never seen anybody stop a class to accept criticism and correction and still carry on with the same compassion they started with. I'm blown away. Yeah. All right. These are narratives. These are stories that we tell ourselves. These are belief systems that we've carried around all of our life. And I promise you, at some point in your life, you've been telling yourself a story that simply isn't true. And you need to rewrite it. You've been telling other people a story about you that really isn't true. And you need to rewrite that one. And you have a narrative in your head of what your life will look like when, and it isn't true. And you need to rewrite it. But there's no one who can write the story of your life like you can. No one can be a better you than you. So select the right stories. Craft those stories well. Connect with other people who have a similar story. Give them the hope for a future through a great narrative. And you will leave a legacy that money couldn't even begin to buy. Ah, that's beautiful. And I'm so glad that you brought that story up because it's true. We do have our own beliefs and stories uh, based on our experiences And even if we're going into something that's supposed to be in our benefit, it's easy to be blocked by those belief systems that we've had. So you're absolutely correct. Create your own narrative, rewrite it and make it worth it. Make it beautiful, you know? And so I'm so glad that you brought that up. What is next for you? J. Lauren Norris, because you have written so many books. You've got a couple more in the works. What is what is the next big thing for you? Well, I have a meeting tomorrow night to talk about one of the television programs that we're going to launch called Lead the Day. Mm. And so I'm meeting with the network executives tomorrow evening to talk about what that will look like and who's going to pay whom and how that will all come together and when. Uh, I've got another one that we've already uh, filmed the first six episodes of Lead the Narrative, It will be exclusive on a different network. Uh, It's more of a political current events kind of a show, but it really digs behind everything from, uh, we had an actress and her uh, executive producer in the studio. And we talked about why do you do the kind of uh, projects that you do? They're, They're live theater type projects, but they're out in the audience. So how did you get to that conclusion? Why do you do that? And the way that they talk about storytelling is profoundly unique. Uh, but I've also had people in here who, you know, they run their own type of events and businesses. And I always like to ask the question, how'd you come to this conclusion? And so lead the narrative is really about that. And some of those are political answers, like the school board, like the city council, like, why do you vote that way? And how did you get to that answer? And why do you do it that way? And I don't want to pass judgment on everybody, but I do believe everybody has a story to tell. And some of them are malicious and nefarious by intent. And some are just careless but we should be bringing all of them to light. So Lead the Narrative is a new program that'll be launching this fall and a couple of different networks. Lead the Day, I'm not sure how soon that will be on the air, but it will be a whole different project. So it's all about storytelling. It's all about getting the stories of other people 
out to the mass public for people to hear and see and giving people a chance to expose their stories so others might find hope in them. Right. With the intent, you know, with to, intent. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Be intentional about your story, not reckless. Yes. Yes. And I, you know, I don't know what your ROAR acronym is, but I know that you're kind of in alignment with that is that you want to lead people, coach people into that. Correct. So let me give you that real quick because I think you'll love it. It's right up your alley. Okay. The first R is be relevant. Yeah. How many times have you heard somebody tell a story and you're like, I, I don't know why you told me that. I heard a guy one time start his speech with, I'm going to tell you a little story because I hear it's a good way to open a, a, a speech, but it really doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to tell you a story anyway. And when he was done, I was like, can I get nine minutes of my life back? It had nothing to do with what he was teaching and it had nothing of relevance to me at all. So the first R is be relevant. Mm. It is the currency of the information age. The second is ownership. And that is, if it's not your story, shut up. How many times have you heard somebody tell a story? I've seen them in a pulpit in front of 60,000 people tell a story and I'm like, I just read that on Facebook and you missed the punchline. <laughs> that doesn't help your credibility at all. So own the story, have the right to tell it, be a part of it, mm. live through it. Authority. There are a whole lot of people that teach on subjects that if you poked a couple of holes in their theory, the whole thing would fly away like somebody's busted balloon. <laughs> they sound great, but they're regurgitating other people's talks on attitude, other people's talks on whatever else, or they give you all these great platitudes and theories. But when I say attitude hack, I'm going to give you six steps of instruction on how to change the attitude you have and how to lead the attitudes that are around you. And the first step is to identify what is the attitude you're dealing with? What does it look like? What's its face, et cetera, et cetera. So have some authority in what you're talking about. And the final, Maya Angelou, people will very quickly forget what you told them. They'll even forget what you did. They'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And when you have the power of story, when you have the platform, whether it's the microphone, it's the webcast, it's the podcast, it's the television, when you have that power, to speak into somebody's life. You better care about them enough to know whether you've broken their heart or not, whether you've broken their mind or not, whether you've given them benefit or not. So speak with relevance, have ownership, have authority, know that you know what you're talking about and be responsible for how they feel when you're done. Mm. Awesome. Those are great. Those are great. I wanna bring in a couple of uh, comments here. Manly says, beautiful and so meaningful. Thank you for sharing your authentic self today. And he also said, I can see why you earned a Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award. Thank you. <laughs> well, this has been an incredible session here today with you. Thank you so much, J. Laura Norris, for being on the Wellness Driven Life Show today. It's truly been an honor Thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise and the power of stories and to rewrite your narrative. Yes. Uh, absolutely. All of us need to do that continuously, right? It's a never ending thing too. I think that that's something absolutely. really powerful to point out as well is that, you know what, just like a movie and anything else, it keeps running and rolling. And so it's up to us to be able to keep that in control and be responsible for it. So very cool to have you on the show. I want to thank you, sir, for your service to this country also. And I want to say goodbye for now. 
and to the rest of you on the show and for those watching the replay, goodbye for now, and we will see you later. Thank you, April. You're welcome.